Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Happy Wednesday and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk radio show. Here's a quick announcement. Our October Heart-Centered and Passion-Driven Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine designed to help moms build a better future for themselves, their families, and loved ones is now live at inspirationsforbetterliving.com. October's theme is Autumn. The Enchanting Season of Mindfulness. The magazine offers inspirational stories from our dedicated team of experts to help you navigate your current situation with confidence in your motherhood journey as the COO, if not the CEO, of your family. So please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com and treat yourself to some engaging, entertaining, and enlightening stories. You deserve it. As for our radio show today, my guest for this morning is Dr. Joan Rosenberg. Dr. Joan is a best-selling author, corporate wellness consultant, and media expert who is known globally as an acclaimed speaker and trainer on communication, confidence, resilience, authenticity, and grief. Dr. Joan is a three-time TEDx speaker and member of the Association of Transformational Leaders and has been recognized for her innovative emotional mastery and confidence-building approach for her thought, leadership, and global influence in personal development. Dr. Joan has served as a mental health media consultant for documentaries, print, radio, television, and digital outlets. She is an Air Force veteran and a professor of psychology at Pepperdine University. Dr. Joan is also one of our featured expert contributors for our October Inspirations for Better Living magazine, Please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com to read her inspiring and empowering story in the Bubble of Quiet Confidence section. As for our kitchen table conversation this morning, Dr. Joan and I will be talking about her remarkable life's journey and her latest book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity. Good morning, Dr. Joan. Happy Wednesday, and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing today? I am doing great, Johnny. It's such a treat to be with you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you with me. 90 Seconds to a Life You Love is an excellent educational read. It is a beautifully written, heart-centered, and passion-driven book. The information is empowering and transformational. Congratulations on this release. Thank you, thank you. That's, that's a very, very kind word. I, I will receive those grace, gracefully. <laughs> the book deserves it. It's beautifully designed as well. So let us start by getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. And by the way, we do have the whole hour here. <laughs> <laughs> you might need the whole hour for that. Uh, <laughs> That's a big question. Um, the the walk the the well to make it a little bit more condensed than the whole hour. Um, I actually started out Johnny as a, a pretty shy, pretty introverted, and pretty sensitive kid. And um, you know, if you're familiar with the concept of wallflowers. Um, mm-hmm. I always like to say that I was uh, I was so shy that I was velcroed to the wall. Um, so so it was I, I, it was really difficult for me to initiate and to kind of be out in the world. And I just, I felt like I didn't belong. 
felt like I didn't fit in, and and so I I had a you know it, uh, as a child what many child experience, but it felt like kind of a rough start in that way, mm-hmm. and um and and certainly uh, that that changed as as I moved into adolescence, I started to get I'm pretty interested in personal growth, and that showed up actually through um, if you're familiar with with uh, experiences like outward bound. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 or, or situations like that, it, it, the idea was using nature as a medium for personal growth. So it was doing things outside and really challenging yourself physically to to grow personally. And 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 I actually wanted to be an outward bound instructor when I was young, uh, except there wasn't anything like that when I got into school. Mm-hmm. So I I landed. Um, and or probably was guided to some degree into an experimental program in, in psychology when I was 20, and I never left. So I went from I went from uh, kind of this outward bound idea to I guess being inward bound. Um, and but I I did I started in the area of counseling and psychology uh, at 20, and here I am still several years later. Fantastic! That sounds really good. I could resonate with the fact that being shy and inward in my situation is a little bit different because what happened was in Asia, when you're growing up, everyone right here, as far as your uncle and your aunts, they are uncle and aunties, right? Right. (laughs) Whereas in Asia, what you have is that on the father's side, you have all the uncles and aunties. Great. Guess what? Then they have who is senior, junior, and all that kind of stuff. Same thing on the mother's right. side, and they all have different titles. And then, not to mention, first cousin twice removed. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. I know. Yes. It's like, are you kidding me? I mean, like, they all have titles. And so, like, I can't never remember all that. So whenever I would be at the family gathering, I'm like, I'm that. <laughs> <laughs> What's so bad about it, Joan, is that it's interesting where I guess that's situationally shy. That would be the best way to put it, right? So my mom would say, hey, you're making us look bad just because we live in the city. People might think we're snooty. Oh, no. That's funny. (laughs) Because you're not family, right? Right, right. I say, if I could call everybody uncle and auntie, I'm in good shape. Oh, that's oh, that's hilarious. It's hilarious now, but difficult then. Oh, my God. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Who were the influences in your life when you were growing up? In early age, you know what? Um, my mom, bless her heart, was probably a primary influencer mm-hmm. um, throughout, throughout, I would say, really, and I would say throughout the whole of my life. She's just been mm-hmm. a, a particular model of, of warmth and kindness. Mm-hmm. Um, that I don't, I don't even know that I can match her and and how she behaves like that. But, um, but she was a, pro, a certainly a primary influence. Uh, and and as I as I got older, um, they, I would say there were probably a couple. Uh, I mean, if I if I'm being you know kind of totally transparent here, mm-hmm. and in eighth grade there was an eighth grade English teacher. That that influenced me, and and it, I think that was the first time I was really starting to open up, mm-hmm. um, and happened to have a, a teacher be a, a decent listener for me, 
And then, uh, and then as I got into adulthood, it, a lot of the influencers became uh, people in psychology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, some some that was, that I was reading about, I mean, some had already passed, um, mm-hmm. but but it was it was really and and you and actually you know, where you and I met um, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, at Brendan's. Yes. Um, Brendan, you know, Brendan and other people in the personal development field um, were also influencers for me. So, mm-hmm. so my reference here for those who are listening is a man named Brendan Burchard. That's wonderful. That's really fantastic. How did your academic pursuit contribute to your journey in developing your confidence? Um, that's interesting. Uh, probably in two different ways. Um, mm-hmm. One was, um, you know, that, that sometimes <laughs> we talk about people that go into certain fields as an effort to kind of correct what's going on. I, yeah. You know, I, for me, the, you know, I, I, I really did want to understand confidence because as a child I didn't have it. And, and so part of my pursuit of psychology, uh, again, subtle, wasn't intentional in that way, was to understand myself better. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that that was my prime driving force, but it certainly became a benefit as I was going through my academic pursuits. It's like I could I could learn about certain things and go, oh, wait a minute, that makes sense now in relation to my life. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so it that did make a difference. The other is that I I went on to um, to do three degrees, so my bachelor's, my master's, and then I got my doctorate. And the you know the the journey itself and and reaching if you will a terminal degree, mm-hmm. um, it's it's like at every it's like part of the way I think about it now, Johnny, is that in every way that we succeed and we make progress, that's a way for us to kind of absorb and take in. Mm-hmm. The progress and to feel and to feel a little bit better and a little a little bit different and then a little bit better about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so it so being able to to go through academically that way it was like oh I can do this I have what it takes to do this I would say that that's true for people not just with academics but if somebody goes from earning you know seven dollars an hour. As, right. as a wait, waiter or waitress or wait person, to um, to getting their first job at and earning twenty five or thirty thousand dollars, that's gonna your sense of self changes because your capacity for doing something has changed, and mm-hmm. and then when you when and then when then that turns into double that, you have a different sense of self again. Right. 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 So each time each time we develop. Um, uh, certain set of skills and develop some measure of of expertise around that or we've uh, we've made certain kind of progress or hit certain milestones that's an opportunity mm-hmm. for all of us to experience confidence that's wonderful that really is wonderful when did 90 seconds to a life you love become a concept that's so interesting um i will <laughs> This is I don't know if it's embarrassing or not. I drew a di- I drew a diagram, Johnny, in 1992 that became the blueprint for how I did psychotherapy. 
and everything emerged out of that blueprint. And and so the the original concept mm-hmm. for the for the book, if you will, um, occurred. It started to develop first in 1992, and and then as time went on, uh, it, I just kept making different kinds of observations about different kinds of things, and and by the by 2000 in 2009. To 2011, I wrote 250 pages of a manuscript. So, wow. so I would say, um, now it didn't get published then, but um, but the the essence of the uh, much more of the essence of the book at that point mm-hmm. um, came to mm-hmm. life by 2009. So that's already 17 years later. Wow, that's amazing. Well, not only that, because it sounds like you were going through the process. And you are that experiential person. No one can tell the story any better than you can. <laughs> yeah, the the good news piece of it is that it's a story most of us share. <laughs> right, um, right. That right. that in terms, you know, it's like, you know, I I got into my professional life and and I knew people needed to develop confidence. There I was mm-hmm. trying to figure out, and it's like I'm not the only one that needs this. But mm-hmm. but I, in my first years. As a therapist, it was mm-hmm. like, how do I tell somebody how to do this? So it was it was embarrassing for me as a, as yeah. a psychologist to look at somebody and go, I know you need confidence, but I don't know how to tell you to get there. <laughs> um, it, but now, but but now I do. So the right. so that the the ninety se- the ninety seconds book really represents a pathway to confidence. Wonderful. It's beautifully written, and it's a definite reference book. It definitely navigates you to your ultimate goal of being confident and feeling good about it and staying in, for lack of a better term here, in your bubble of confidence. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yes, I'm glad you see it that way. That's good. (laughs) What are the eight feelings of emotional states that affects our confidence? So what's really interesting here is um, my big question in kind of a childhood and adolescence is how does somebody develop confidence? Right. And when I got into my professional life as a psychologist, then the second question came to came kind of forward, and that was what made it so difficult for people to deal with unpleasant feelings. And so, so what I found is that in reference to the the eight feelings or the emotional mm-hmm. states. What I found is that our capacity to deal with unpleasant feelings is actually the foundation of confidence. And and what I found, so the eight feelings that I always talk about, or feeling mm-hmm. states, either way you want to call them, are sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, vulnerability, embarrassment, disappointment, and frustration. And and if people can deal with those eight feelings consistently and don't try to ignore them or shut them down or do anything like that, then um, then then their ability to handle those feelings is going to make a big difference in their own sense of confidence. Well, that's good to know. Why do people get angry, and how does it relate to confidence? We get angry when when we, our expectations aren't met. 
um, when I mean, you know, when we feel I mean, there's probably there's many reasons we get angry, um, but expectations not met, we feel we feel um, isolated or kept from something. Um, it, we're invested in something and it doesn't turn out. Um, and and I, I often look at a lot of the unpleasant feelings as um, they're not only are they protective by nature, um, so there's a, an aspect of anger that is also protective. Um, mm-hmm. The it, it's it's you know it's like no if something doesn't feel good or it feels you know it feels dangerous or something then we might get angry to kind of um, protect ourselves. Right. Um, Right, but so there's there's lots of different reasons for it, um, but you know the part of the way we can use anger in a positive way is is actually to use it in ways. Not, again, it's not to be hurtful to someone else. Sure, sure. But it's it, it's you to use it to protect ourselves and to stand stand for something or to stand firm. For ourselves, um, and and so if we use it in those ways, then then anger can actually be kind of have an empowering quality to it. Interesting, very very interesting. Well, should people yeah. ignore how they feel? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's a that's a, a definitive no. Uh, no, people shouldn't ignore how they feel. Think of feelings as one source of information. Think of your thoughts as another source of information. And we have we have our perceptions and other other kinds of things that we have that are also sources of information. So mm-hmm. we want we don't I don't want anybody to ignore their feelings. Feelings are there. The way I think about feelings, feelings are present for us for two major reasons or three actually. Mm-hmm. Um when we're endangered or we feel some sense of life threat, then feelings are there for protective purposes. Right. When we feel um, when we feel safe, then our feelings are available for connection with with other people and mm-hmm. for creativity. So there isn't a time that I want somebody to ignore what they're feeling, and I might want them to do something different with what they're thinking. But mm-hmm. uh, but I want I want people to be able to integrate what they're feeling with their capacity to think and to reason, so they can actually make better decisions for themselves. Interesting, very so, very interesting. No, so absolutely not. I don't want anybody to ignore their feelings. That's true. Very true. It's a very interesting concept, and I'm glad you pointed out because it's like if you go one way or the other, then you just do extreme. The key is to be right in the middle, so to speak, and let situation dictate yes. itself. Yes, yes. And you, again, you're, it's not that you're operating solely out of your feelings. Right. Um, it, I, want, I want people to be integrating feelings mm-hmm. with thinking and reasoning. Very interesting. How is fear related to anxiety and confidence? Uh, this is interesting because um, I have a – I look at fear – I look at people's use of the word fear and anxiety a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. The way I think about fear, or the way psychology defines fear, I should say, is that fear is danger in the moment right now. Mm-hmm. And 
yet most people, when they talk about things, they talk about being fearful. And they talk about being fearful when they're not in danger. So mm-hmm. I think that that the words, both the words fear and anxiety, are words that are misused and overused. Mm-hmm. So my thinking is, if you're not in danger, then don't use the word fear because you don't want to activate that state <laughs> for yourself. Because you use the, you use the word right. to activate, you activate the state in you. Right. So right. so you're not in danger. Stop using the word fear. Like people say, they have a fear of public speaking. Okay, but mm-hmm. you're not really fearful, right? So mm-hmm. so then if I go to the next most obvious one. Um, it, that would be anxiety. And the way psychology talks about anxiety is that it is, um, it's like this broad-based concern that something bad is going to happen. Yeah. So uh, uh, apprehension that, that something, some bad event is going to happen. So in the future. And so does that make sense? And does it, it make you know, more sense yeah. to use that word? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Except... Yeah. If uh, what I always say, Johnny, is if I were to ask ten people what anxiety meant to them, I would get eight to ten different answers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in my work as a psychologist, it doesn't—it's not a useful concept. Mm-hmm. And what I found instead is that that anxiety was more uh, like an umbrella covering those eight feelings I just talked about. Yeah. Yeah. And and so if we allow ourselves just to say that we're fearful or angry, then we actually take away from our confidence. Mm-hmm. We're more in a state of doubt, and we're more in in a state where we won't take risks. So true. So so it pulls us away from confidence. Right. The key thing I got out of it is the fact that words have power. And you're very right, because if we speak it out, then that's it. You initiated it. Yes, 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 yes. And and so, so for me, our our ability to take risks and our ability to speak are also super important threads in in developing confidence. That's true. So true. Can someone authentically express themselves into becoming confidence? Um, I would say yes to this. <laughs> and and not only not only do they can they authentically express themselves into becoming confident, yeah. the more they authentic the more they express themselves, um, the more they become authentic too. So I I, I will here's my and if <laughs> if unpleasant feelings if unpleasant feelings were not the foundation of confidence, what I would tell you, Johnny, is that your ability to speak with ease would be the foundation. I, mm-hmm. I'm so, I believe so strongly in the importance of someone speaking and expressing themselves it, because I, the way I see um, the, the way I see how we express ourselves is that it's the super glue of the confidence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if we have a hard time speaking up, and I mean the whole range of speaking up, and that includes pleasant and unpleasant feelings, so if I have a hard time saying to you, Johnny, you know, um, yeah. I, I was excited to talk to you, or I'm super pleased to be reconnected with you, or uh, when we first met, I always wanted to get to know you better. Mm-hmm. And I, if I had a hard time saying that, or the opposite side of it, 
saying to you, you know, it, uh, it was disappointing that we couldn't get together, or I was angry or, or sad <laughs> that something didn't turn out well between us. Um, that when we when we're not able to do that, we're not being authentic in the world. When we're not being authentic, we're less confident. Mm-hmm. So the so the more we can get our our words to match our thoughts and feelings, the more authentic we become and the more true to ourselves we feel. And and so this whole idea of expressing ourselves is a absolutely critical piece to becoming confident. So true. Very true. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, Podchaser, Listen Notes, and Hophopper. I'm Johnny Tan, your host. Here's a quick reminder to treat yourself to our heart-centered and passion-driven Inspirations for Better Living magazine at inspirationsforbetterliving.com. October's theme is Autumn the enchanting season of mindfulness. The magazine offers inspirational stories from our dedicated team of experts to help you navigate your current situation with confidence in your motherhood journey as the COO, if not the CEO of your family. My guest for this morning is Dr. Joan Rosenberg. Dr. Joan is a best-selling author, corporate wellness consultant, and media expert who is known globally as an acclaimed speaker and trainer of communication, confidence, resilience, authenticity, and grief. Dr. Joan is a three-time TEDx speaker and member of the Association of Transformational Leaders and has been recognized for her innovative emotional mastery and confidence-building approach for her thought, leadership, and global influence in personal development. Dr. Joan has served as a mental health media consultant for documentaries, prints, radio, television, and digital outlets. She's an Air Force veteran and a professor of psychology at Pepperdine University. Dr. Joan is also one of our featured contributors for our October Inspirations for Better Living magazine. Please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com to read her inspiring and empowering story in the Bubble of Quiet Confidence section. Our kitchen table conversation this morning is about her remarkable life's journey and her latest book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love. How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity. Dr. Joan, is self-criticism an unhealthy self-motivation technique? Yes. (laughs) It's a horrible technique for (laughs) (laughs) self-motivation. I actually view harsh Mm self-criticism as one of the important things to end doing, to stop doing. Mm-hmm. The um, it is I think it is one of the most damaging things that we can do to ourselves, and and if we want to become confident, that's not going to help us do that. It's actually going to um, it's going to tear us down. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why I mentioned that is that because if you don't sort of critique yourself, right, then if everything is acceptable to you, then you don't know, <laughs> for lack of a better term, what is right and is wrong. What I'm saying here, I'm not talking about extreme now, but to a certain extent, if that makes sense. 
Yes, but but I make uh, I really make um, uh, what's the word a distinction uh-huh. between between healthy criticism, constructive criticism, and harsh self criticism. You hit it so, right on the nose so right there. <laughs> right. So so and and I'm and I'm uh, like I said I am super adamant that people stop harsh self criticism. I think it's it, like I said I think it's damaging. And yeah. most people, Johnny, most people think that experiencing unpleasant feelings yeah. and harsh and harsh self criticism are equal. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're yeah. not equal. They're not right, equal. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Th- think of think of if we were sta- standing on the ground floor of something, and there was a building that went ten stories down. And I'm just, you know, I'm just mm-hmm. making it up in this way. But yeah. but yeah. the the hard self criticism would be the ten story. We'd be standing ten stories down. We would not be yeah. standing on the ground floor. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yeah. so it's so the, the and and the way I look at hard self criticism is that it's a distraction from unpleasant feelings. So the mm-hmm. only the main reason we go into it is to actually move away from unpleasant feelings. To move away from embarrassment or to move away from disappointment. There's a let me, if I may, let me uh, oh, yes, uh, relate yes. just a, a, a little a little story here, and, and people will, yeah. uh, you'll get it, a real quick understanding of what I'm talking about. I yeah. was doing a I was doing a, a podcast interview, and it was over the internet. It mm-hmm. was probably through Zoom, and um, and the person could could see me but couldn't hear me, ah, and I could okay. I could. I could do both. I could see and hear him. Right, right. So he's he's on the other side trying to figure out what the problem is. So first you see him playing with the keyboard to try to figure out what's wrong there, and he's not figuring it out. Then you see him, you know, I'm, I'm watching him crawl under the desk to try to figure out. You can picture it, the cords, right. what's not in, right? So that, and, and I hear him say while he's on the floor, I hear him say, I'm so embarrassed, except <laughs> within... Within seconds, yeah. he says, I'm so stupid, I'm such an idiot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the harsh self-criticism. Mm-hmm. It would have been fine if he said, I'm so embarrassed. Who cares? Okay, right. I'm chilling, right. it's cool. Right? Yeah. But yeah. he attacked himself in the process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I watch people do all the time. Yeah, and that yeah. is incredibly damaging. And it right. it will it will if you want to become confident, then then ending hard self criticism is what the, what you have to do. It has to stop. Right. And the thing about it, it's interesting too. Though you can't deny that there was a mix up or whatever that is, right? Correct. Take yep. responsibility and then rebound. Yes. 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 That would have been much better. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. What is disguised grief? I think of it as, um, I think of it as, as kind of unprocessed and unrecognized grief. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it shows up in two different ways. Um, one is through what I call grief signal words. And then the other is thinking about um, grief that is a result of a gap between what you uh, what you wanted, what you desired, what you 
uh, felt you needed and what you really got. So there's mm-hmm. this guy's there's grief that that comes about because of that gap. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean I can I can dig, dig into this a little bit if you'd like. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people, Johnny, use words like um, they're jealous. They're bitter, they're envious, they hold grudges, they're resentful, they feel revengeful, they're pessimistic, they're cynical, they're sarcastic. And and in my mind, I call those grief signal words. Yeah. Because I think that there are feelings of grief that are underneath every one of those words. Or under every one of those. So so if I'm... um, if I'm bitter about something, then I still have feelings of, and so here's how I think about grief. I still have feelings of sadness, helplessness, mm-hmm. anger, or disappointment that's underneath the word bitterness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can use any one of those. You can use jealousy. You can use yeah. revenge. You can use resentful. You can use cynical. And underneath, the reason that somebody's being that way or, or still is ex- have, holding that kind of a, a feeling state about it is because right. there's grief on it. Right. Well, what I like about what our conversation is evolving to here is that you broke it down to whereby, like they always say, you diagnose the problem, right? Well, not necessarily what you're addressing is just the symptoms. There's some core issues that sort of, have a ripple effect that costs you to react in a certain way. Yes, absolutely true. Absolutely true. Yes. Very, very interesting. Yeah. 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 And then there's a there's a whole second way that I think about it too. Um so the grief signal words are one way that I listen for um the you know grief still being present for somebody. And then the and then the second way is what I call categories, if you will. And that what I have found is that people grieve over there's grieving over what you got and didn't deserve. So mm-hmm. that would that would be the bad stuff in life. That would be the you know a chaotic home environment or some kind of abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, it's grieving over what someone deserved and didn't get. So think of that as the good stuff that you didn't get, and that might be the support or praise or nurturance that w- went missing or people not showing up for swim meets or piano recitals or what are marking progress for you. It's grieving over what never was, grieving o- over what is not now, and grieving over what might never be. Mm-hmm. So it's uh it's it uh it it takes us to sometimes it, it means that an awareness of, of both the grief signal words and those categories take us to some places where we've got some unresolved or kind of unfinished emotional right, work. Right. And it's very interesting, though, because some of it is intentional and some of it is unintentional. But like they say, a chip is a chip. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's true. Uh, some of it, I would agree, absolutely agree with you, too. Some is intentional and some is not. Some is it's just out of your awareness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can you share with us effective ways to release bad and painful experiences that seem to hold us back from moving forward? Yeah, um, around this idea of disguised grief, what I did is um, 
create a kind of, uh, I think in the book I talk about it as a, a grief reset protocol. Yes. Uh, who knows Who knows why I gave it that name, but um, <laughs> think of it as a grief, re- a grief reset. And and what the idea is that um, is that you identify one as, a, as just to start to work with it. You identify one painful life experience or difficult life experience you want to work with. And and I I really invite people to kind of ask questions around this. And mm-hmm. and that that the idea is that you want to make sense of um, the impact and meaning that experience had on you across time. So so the thinking would be on my end is to think about the experience and go, all right, when it first happens, what was the effect on me? Who who did I become? In essence, you're asking the question, who did I become because I went through this experience? Mm-hmm. Did I withdraw did I withdraw from people? Did I become angrier? Did I start using drugs? Did I um, become promiscuous? Did I? Who knows what it is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, did I become more academically achieving? Did I? Um, did I ignore authority? So there, there's all sorts of ways we develop once we go through a difficult life experience, and and so and then it's like, who did I become as I aged? And then who am I now? because I went through that experience. So it's really, again, that the, if I break it down to its simplest, it's who did I become and kind of what was the impact and meaning any given of, of these difficult life experiences had on me across time. Very interesting. Well, very, yeah. very interesting. Yeah. That then eventually, Johnny, can lead us to um, potentially um, – Understanding that there was some good that we could take from the experience, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and that 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 you know, in some for instance, I was bullied as a child, mm-hmm. and what I realized is that um, I never wanted to treat somebody the way I'd been treated, and and so what that did is um, it prompted me to hold kindness as a really high value. Mm-hmm. So so that's. That's drawing something good, if you will, out of a difficult life experience. Right. Um, right and then, right. and then, it, it, once we get there, then the beauty of it is we get to, um, we get to forge new stories of who we want to become, and we move to a place of forgiveness. Right. 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 That's very interesting, though. I mean, when you brought up about the fact that you were bullied when you were growing up. It just dawned on me. I mean, this is interesting. I mean, I guess we all, in some ways, depending on the degree of being bullied. I mean, I've been bullied too. But the funny thing about it, for me personally, I sucked it up and okay, fine. And then finally, at 15 years old, I stood up for a friend who was picked on in a soccer game by another group of friends who, at that time, when you're talking about 15 years old, they uh-huh. joined the local gang, so to speak. <laughs> sure, sure. And yeah. so we were in a soccer game, and all two or three of these friends were trying to kick another friend in the shin. And, of course, that is very hurtful, and you can break someone's leg without the ball, who doesn't, have, doesn't possess the ball. It's one thing when you right. accidentally kick someone, right? And so I finally got right. mad and 
stood up and I said, hey, what the hell are you doing? We're friends. Right. We're da, 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 whatever you call it. And it was exhilarating because, like, I stood up for somebody else. It's a weird feeling, but it felt good. And the funny thing about it, and you talk about confidence <laughs> coming full circle, all of a sudden, like, everybody was like, whoa, let's stop mess with this guy. Ah, <laughs> uh, got it, got it. Right, right. It's so, funny. So, yeah, so, but, and this is also to my point, Johnny, about the importance of speaking up. Because the yeah, moment you spoke yeah. up, you you actually felt stronger in yourself. Yeah, and I wasn't speaking up for myself, but it was for somebody I understand. else. It was funny. I get it. I get it. Yeah. It was like very, very different because like I said, okay, if you want to do this, yeah, I'm right here. Me. Right, right. Not, well, it, not him. Actually, <laughs> right. It, what, what's really funny to me about that is you thought you were doing it for someone else. Uh-huh. The, the, net, the net effect is that it actually bolstered you. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. It's really interesting you mentioned that because what happened, this was like a week later, right? This guy, this friend, right, came over yep. one day to the house and he was outside and he called my name. It was in the evening and I went out to meet with him and I saw about 10 feet away. I know his mom was trying to kind of stand away from the whole situation. <laughs> And he came and apologized to me. He says, look, I'm sorry. You know, you're right. We're all friends and so forth. We shouldn't be doing all this. And I reminded wow. him at that time. And I said, Richard, you're right. We're all friends. Heck, we went to the movies together and occupied the whole row. We've been friends for the last seven years. <laughs> and wow. This shouldn't happen. And But I tell you one thing, though, Richard. We're at a stage in our life right now that from a... Of course, it's, uh, I don't know why, since then, I've always been flowery with words. And I mentioned to him, I said, you have lit a candle. And I want you to know mm. that. I want you to know this. From now going forward, if I ever see you and your friends picked on anyone, it doesn't have to be our friends. You have rekindled the flame. And I'll come after you all. And I said that, and his mother could hear that. But they all know wow. me, like I'm not, I'm not the bully. Let me put it this way. <laughs> no, but, that, no, that is not who you are. Precisely, precisely. And I'm a little crazy about superhero movies, I guess. <laughs> That's but, okay. But I did. I, I set the tone. Yeah, yeah. I, I set the tone on that. And of course, a couple of years later, I left to come to the United States. But having said that, it was a different set of things. Like, hey, this is it right here. This is. That's right and that's wrong. You choose the path. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. If I see it, I'm going to fix it. So, wow, that's powerful. That is really yeah, powerful. So it's just crazy. <laughs> that's why I love your book. <laughs> Good. <laughs> that, that's music to my ears, my friend. So. <laughs> How do you define resilience? You know, most people talk about resilience as um, as bouncing back. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So it's it's the capacity to to um, and and in the ideal, we actually want to bounce back better than we were before. Right. So it, so it's it's our ability to um, to go through something that's difficult and to um, to feel like we've grown from it or to feel like we're um, doing more, we're, we're being more effective even after we've been through something difficult. So it's, it's a 
about oh, the, the the notion is a bouncing back. Yeah. Can anyone develop resilience? I um, I would say I would say most people can. Um, I, again, that I'm going to rule out you know high trauma, high tragedy kinds of things happening here. But but um, but if, can we go and can we go through trauma and stuff like that and still bounce back? Yeah, we can. <laughs> there's um, and, well, there's something. There's actually a phenomenon called post-traumatic growth. Um, mm. And 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 so so the idea here is that um, think of resilience actually I think resilience is a, com- a kind of a combination of uh, a set of skills and uh, also uh, kind of attitudes and beliefs that you hold so mm-hmm. that um, so that there are some basic things that we can do um, one is our our ability to handle unpleasant feelings can make a big difference in how resilient we'll be. Um, our willingness to reach out and turn to other people and ask for help can make a big difference. Um, if we look at um, really common things to do, everything we do to support our our health, our physical health and well-being can make a huge difference because we would be um, we would be uh, eating well, exercising, sleeping, uh, all the all the basics of those kinds of things um, are important. The other, but and then it, you know things doing things like um, uh, having a faith based practice or yeah. meditation or um, all those kinds of things also can make a difference. And then we get into um, all the attitudes that people can hold. So, for instance, I can hold an attitude that. Um, I'm going to persevere and make my way through this no matter what. Or I can hold the attitude that and belief that um, I've been through difficult times before. I, I know I can um, make my way through this difficult time too. So it's a combination of some variation of all those things. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Is asking for help boost confidence in any way? Yes, yes. I um, I actually, in, in thinking about writing the book, what I really wanted to capture, Johnny, is mm-hmm. um, this idea that asking for help is not weakness. Mm-hmm. It, it's actually strength. You have the courage, basically, to ask for help. That's the difference. Exactly, exactly. Gotcha. Um, and so, yeah, actually tie in that idea of courage with the idea of vulnerability. Gotcha. That gotcha. that I I so if I'm vulnerable, I'm willing to recognize and acknowledge my needs and my limitations, and and if I'm willing to turn so it's, the other idea here is that none of us succeed alone. Mm-hmm. So if we also get used to the idea that we need people to help us, then then we're and we're willing to be vulnerable and and exhibit that courage then we can ask for help. And when when we're not going something alone, that can make yeah. a big difference in, in making our way through it. Uh, let me give a very quick example here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was, I was, when I was in my early 20s, I was traveling by myself. Nobody knew where I was. And and uh, to be honest, it was a time when there were no cell phones and there were only paper maps. Mm-hmm. And, and I was getting myself confused looking at that paper map. So I was feeling a little lost. And it was like, I started to feel really vulnerable. It's like, oh, my God, what's going to happen to me? Something bad. And then I took a a beat and I took a breath. 
And I went, I went, you know what? If I just drive further on, I'm probably going to run into a, a grocery store or a 7-Eleven type of place or a place to get gas. And I can ask somebody there mm-hmm. kind of to reposition me and to um, redirect me to where I need to go. And I will tell you the moment I realized I could ask for help, I felt more confident about handling the whole trip. Wow. That's very interesting. So that for me is really representative of when we yeah. when we're open to asking for help, we yeah. can actually become more confident in the thing that we're doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's very, very interesting. My side of the equation and of course it's not necessarily now I'm going through it, but there was a period of time because I've always been the giving person, right? I'm the one yeah. that someone comes to for any help. And that's it. Oh, yeah, no problem. This, that, and everything. And we're not talking about just monetarily, but everything, anything. <laughs> and Got then... you the resource guy. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, because the circumstances, situation, well, guess what? It flipped. And... Here, I'm in a situation like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And then the idea, and maybe it's a subconscious ego, asking for people's help monetarily or assistance in terms of referrals or this or that, that's not my forte because that's like, uh-oh, I'm showing my wound or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> right, right. I had a tough time overcoming that. Got it, but but so so part of it then that that ties into the vulnerability. Yeah, it's oh, like yeah. I need to, I have to be I have to be vulnerable enough to to show it's not showing our weakness it's it's showing our humanness. Right, right, right. It has nothing to do with weakness. It has everything to do with the fact that we're human. Right, right, and I agree with that because again, this revolves back around to words have power. It's what right. you tell yourself. And that changes yes. everything. Changes yeah, everything. That's, that's beautiful. I love that. What is an imposter syndrome? You know, it's um, if we if we look at kind of the the a loose definition of it, it's it's someone that's really doubting their abilities um, and feeling like a fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it's so it's we'll see people that there where there's a lot of self-doubt or insecurity or they feel like they're going to be exposed as a fraud regardless mm-hmm. um, of, the, of the fact that they have many accomplishments and there's lots of evidence to the contrary of that. So um, that's what, that's what it, many people will talk about in terms of imposter syndrome, except I don't, I really uh, look at it very differently. I see. Very interesting. How can we use it to our advantage in uplifting our confidence? So here's the thing. If you're first starting out in something, so you're fresh, you're new to whatever the experience or the skill is, um, so you have little skill, you have little experience, you have little expertise, then then you might feel a little bit like a fraud. Mm -hmm. But that's coming about because, or like an imposter, because you don't have the skills, the knowledge, or the expertise. But the more, the further along you get in developing your skills, developing the knowledge, developing the expertise, and maybe even moving into mastery, yeah. then 
then to say you're an imposter doesn't fit. Right, right. I actually think at that point, so this is again to your point that words have power, I yeah. think people use it as a way to describe feeling vulnerable. So so the way we can use it when we get further down the road is just to acknowledge our vulnerability. It's like, you know what, even though I'm skilled or knowledgeable <laughs> in this area, I still feel vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But you're but you're not an imposter. Yeah. 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 You just feel like you could still get hurt. One of the things that you hear a lot is people always tell other people say, Hey, fake it till you make it. Up to a certain right. extent right. I like that word, but then I always caution people, I caution my clients, I said, Look, faking it till you make it is about telling yourself that I'm good enough, I can do this, is positive manifestation. But you don't fake it in terms of lying to somebody. <laughs> correct, correct. That's two yes. different things. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I totally agree. Again, it's just a word kind of thing. And one of the things that I also share with people is the fact that I know it's a big thing out there. Well, step out of your comfort zone. And I always tell people, expand your comfort zone. Because what came to mind was, what is that the whatever it is, the road runner show. <laughs> oh, step yeah. your comfort. So the boulder drops on you. I say, if you think about it, you know, how do we get to the moon? We just didn't, the very first rocket that we have, we just shot straight away to the moon. <laughs> no. Like, okay, you make it, that's fine, great, thanks. If you don't, sorry. <laughs> no, right, we right. expand the process. As a matter of fact, we circle around the moon a couple of times before we finally landed. <laughs> Right, that's true, that, that's true. <laughs> and so that's... they visualize what I'm talking about. I said, oh, I said, you're always 80% ready to go. Just when you thought you're 100%, guess what? You're never 100%. You know why? Because you're not in control of the environment. You have no right. idea what it's going to present to you. So the idea is that you want to get it optimized as much as you can, and then you're ready as best as you can. So it's a different, <laughs> different perspective. I like that. I like that. Dr. Jones, is confidence a journey or a destination? Ooh, what a great question. Is confidence, it's, um, I would say, I would say it's a journey, Uh, but but, maybe there's a little bit of destination there too. (laughs) Um, Again, part of it is understanding that that what it takes for us to be confident involves a lot of skill. Skill mm-hmm. takes practice. Mm-hmm. So emotional reg- self-regulation or emotional regulation is a skill. Communication is a skill, both the speaking side of it and the responding as you're listening side of it. So yeah. um, speaking and listening is a skill. Um, taking action involves over time. When you're taking action on something over time, that involves uh, kind of skill-based stuff. So so what ends up happening is that think of it from the standpoint of, of any skill that you've developed well. So let's say somebody's a really good piano player. Mm-hmm. Um, it took a long time to get one hand to work and then the second hand to work and then the ability to coordinate that and create beautiful sounds. And, but once you do it, it becomes it becomes embodied. You know how to do it. It doesn't go away. That's mm-hmm. true of riding a bicycle. That's true of of um, playing tennis, 
playing soccer, it doesn't matter what it is, you develop the experience in your body along with whatever the external skill is. Mm-hmm. And so what I would say is that it's it's largely a journey because you're you're developing this embodied experience of um believing that you can do something. Mm-hmm. So so think of think of confidence as this sense of can do itiveness. Right. Right. And you develop that over time by doing, by being and doing and being and doing and being and doing over and over and over till it till right. you have the experience in yourself. It's like me and the me and the map. Right. And realizing right. I could ask somebody, all of a sudden I had an experience of canduitiveness, and now that becomes um, embodied within me. So for the most part, it's a journey. And then there are other aspects where you can you can feel confident. You go, I got this. Right, right, right. Uh, or right. in most in most of my life situations, I got this. And right. so in that sense, it's the the uh, just a touch of a destination. Right. So true. That's really wonderful. Can you suggest the best way to read ninety seconds to a life you love? You know. <laughs> I, I have a friend that did the forward to it, and her recommendation was to read it through once mm-hmm. without doing any of the exercises or any of the journal prompts, just to go through it. And then and then she said, um, read it a second time, but this time do it, <laughs> um, do it actually using the um, – because there's like 20 journal prompts or 20 mm-hmm. – um, exercises in like 14 journal prompts or something. So there's a lot for people to work with. I really wanted to set it up as something that would allow someone to kind of take themselves on their own self-exploration journey right? and right. self-growth journey. And and so the thing is read it first and then the second time, second or third time go through it. And, and you know, there's a, there's a, actually another recommendation I, I might make here, Johnny. Mm-hmm. And, and that is there's a spot in the book where you really want to develop from that, don't go to any other section until you got that one down. Right, right. So that, that's wonderful. So that you really, you, yeah. So that you really have a uh, there's a uh, there's a personal development um, expert who's since passed, Bob Proctor, mm-hmm. who wouldn't turn the page on a, on his Think and Grow Rich book. Until he'd mastered what was on that page, right, right. That's that's powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, so true. that would be another another approach to to reading the book is pick something that is important and difficult for you. Stay there until you got it. Wonderful. That's really wonderful. Where can some go to buy your books, get more information about you and your services you offer, and keep up with your latest happenings? Thanks for asking. Um, they can buy books anywhere. Um, so they're on uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, if you still like to go into bookstores, Barnes & Noble does carry the book. Um, and other, uh, other, yeah, pretty much wherever you buy books, you should be able to do it. Uh, my understanding is even Walmart and Target might be carrying it. Um, the, uh, in terms of finding out more about me, I would say drjoanrosenberg.com. So dr then my first name, J-O-A-N, and then my last name, Rosenberg, R-O-S-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. And then uh, in terms of platforms, probably I would say that 
Instagram and Twitter are my more favored platforms um, so that people can watch what's happening and, and find out and reach me those ways too. Fantastic. That's wonderful. What is next for you? I'm thinking about another book, actually. Um, then, 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 yeah, the next one, I think I would like to be on uh, this whole idea of speaking. And uh, and it, for me, it goes both directions. It goes outward speaking, um, mm-hmm. so how we express ourselves outwardly to others, and also inward speaking, so this idea of our self-criticism and what we say to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, so true. It's, uh, yeah. So that I think that's where I want to head next. And then, and then <laughs> of course, I, I, I'd love to speak and train. So um, so if there's opportunities to do speaking and training engagements and that sort of thing, or the corporate wellness stuff that I'm doing. So, so yeah. that's the, what's next. Fantastic. That's really wonderful. As we close this hour, since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Oh, Absolutely. Um, absolutely. That's what a great, what a great question. Um, the, here's the, here's one of the recipes that that I actually really encourage, um, and that is to think, to speak, and to take action in the direction you want your results to be. So it, it, that means that means you can't speak negatively or you can't be pessimistic. You got to do you got to do it in the direction you want your results to be. So think, speak, and act in the direction you want your results to be. That's totally awesome. Dr. Jones, thank you for the beautiful recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Monday morning, October 31st at 10 a.m. Central Time, U.S. My guest will be Connie Kenneth. Connie is an author, astrologer, tarot card reader, and owner of the Haunted Antique Shop in Deland, Florida. Connie and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her latest book, Gently Haunted, for a very special Halloween broadcast. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to FromMyMama'sKitchenTalkRadio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Dr. Joni, it's been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a blessed day. Thank you so much, Johnny. Likewise for me. Thank you. 